Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 156 of Otaku Brothers. It's been a month. My name's still Rusty, and as always, I am still joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan. How the heck have you been? I'm doing good. My name is still Ryan. I thought about changing it this month, but right. there's lots of paperwork. You have to go to the courthouse. I just it wasn't in the cards because work's been busy. So that might be an April problem for me. Well, if you were going to change your name, what would it be? Terry. Terry. <laughs> yeah, Terry. After my favorite actor or artist, Terry Crews. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he can peck bounce like the best of us. So mm. I figure it'll inspire me, you know. Terry it is. As random as ever. That's how we have to start the Otaku Brothers podcast because, well, that's just how Ryan is. But yep. it's been a while since we've gotten behind the mic. So if you are unfamiliar with the show, maybe this is your first time tuning in. Typically, we start the show talking about our weeks, everything that's been going down in our life. We always talk about the games that we have been playing recently, mm-hmm. and then we tend to have a main topic of the show towards the tail end of the show, and today should be, I would say, more of a relaxed episode because we've been playing a whole heck of a lot of video games, so I think I have like 10 games recently played. Mm-hmm. It's a long laundry list that we'll get to, and then we also have to talk about how the cadence of the show is probably going to be changing soon because life's getting busy. It is. And that's also yeah. kind of why we haven't gotten behind the mics and recorded in a month because there's just a lot going on, people. I'm sure everyone can kind of relate in some regard, but we'll be getting to that. And I think at the tail end, we're going to return to some more superthetics. Sounds good. Conversations or questions for crazy conversations. So it should be an entertaining ride. But as we always say at the beginning of any Otaku Brothers episode, we hope it finds you well. Maybe you're on a commute to work. Maybe you're just kicking your feet up and playing some great video games on the weekend. Wherever it finds you, we hope it finds you well. But Ryan, let's kind of start before we even get into our weeks and stuff like that. uh, The cadence of the show Mm -hmm. and how it's going to be changing going forward. So way back when, in May of 2018, nearly five years ago, Mm -hmm. we recorded every week. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Right? Yeah. Yeah, crazy times. And then at a certain point, we switched to every other week. And there's all, all oftentimes been stretches where we, we would skip a month or two because, you know, life was was busy. Things were going on. But I think we're going to move to every month. Mm-hmm. Every other week or every other once a month. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Ryan no longer can talk. <laughs> yeah, that's why we really... Or uh, punting the show because we just, uh, we, we, yeah, we can't talk anymore. Yep. That's, yeah. Yeah. So once a month, because the <laughs> next six weeks, I'm actually going to be helping my neighbor with taxes. It's my first season that I'm going to be getting deep and dirty with, with doing tax returns. Yep. It sounds thrilling. Not really looking forward to it, but uh, we'll see if it's maybe a, an exit strategy from the corporate world at some point, mm-hmm. if I fully commit to it. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. So if you need help on taxes, hit up your boy, Ari Lewis, 2011. Throw me a DM on Twitter, YouTube, MySpace, wherever you find me. <laughs> and um, speaking of MySpace, did you ever have a song? Well, first of all, did you ever have a MySpace? Do you think I was allowed to have a MySpace? <laughs> no, you didn't have one? I didn't. 
I all my friends had MySpaces, but mm-hmm. yeah, putting myself out on the internet. I was like, we had limited computer time. I had to burn my Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Do you think I was able to put myself out with other people that young? You're a secretive man. I figured like you could find a way. Oh, so to get into my computer without my mom signing me on, I created a guest account, which you pretty much, if you can allow your guest account to have like privileges, it's pretty much just like a normal account with no sign on. So that was my workaround back in the day. Windows 2000. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, I never had a MySpace. I had a Facebook for a while, but mm. not anymore. Well, the cool thing about MySpace is that it really was your dedicated space where you could kind of rank your favorite movies and your favorite albums and bands. And it was really just like, hey, here's a biography about me, all the things that I like. Your top 10 friends, everyone, was it Tom? Was he everyone's friend? Yeah, Tom, the dude in the white shirt kind of looking, he's like in his basement or whatever. Um, But anyways, you could have a song play when anyone visited your page. Yeah. Which was kind of sweet because it was kind of like the flavor of the week. Kind of like, what mood are you in? Are you in that kind of my chemical romance? You feeling some Sean Paul? Well, you certainly probably would have had like one of those types of songs. Yeah. Coming. Get low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Walk it out. <laughs> <laughs> Riding dirty. Chamillionaire. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. See, that I wasn't really listening to that type of music back then. Oh, I was. I, I yeah, believe got the it. Lime wire the hell out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think the Jimmy last Cash. song, and I'd like to do like the Wayback Machine. I'm wondering if I could still visit my MySpace page. But the song that I had playing, which is totally on brand for Rusty, R.A. Lewis, 2011, was How Far We've Come by Matchbox 20. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, totally different genres than I was <laughs> listening up, but that's good. Yeah, like you just go to Ryan's MySpace page, page and like Sandstorm's playing. It's just yeah, like a Dorudo Sandstorm. There's a yeah. freaking rave going on. Um, yeah, no, I believe it. But anyways, MySpace pages aside, we're going to be recording every month because I'm going to be doing taxes and life's going to be busy. And it's going to be difficult to even find time to play video games, which is really sad. It's been a long time career-wise where I really haven't had the ability because work was so busy that I couldn't just unplug, play some games at the end of the day. It's a hard knock life mm-hmm. for us. <laughs> That's right. It's a hard knock life. <laughs> but us. um, but yeah, so we'll be back in a month and I think we've committed to, we're going to be doing the Destiny Island Challenge. I know we've talked about that, teed it up a couple of different times, but we're going to do it in a month. And I will be sure to remind all of the good listeners out there on the Discord, we're going to be doing the original Xbox. Yeah. And it's going to be great. We're going to be talking about Halo and all the games that have come out in the on the system. If you're unfamiliar with the Destiny Island Challenge, Ron and I basically ask the age-old question, if you were on a desert island, what would be the five games you would take with you? So we do that. We also do a history of the console, best-selling games. We play some late 90s, early 2000s advertisements from YouTube. We do it all. It's going to be a really, really great time. We'll be back in a month to do that. And then we have to find a way, Ryan, for May, because I'll be in Japan for two weeks, but we have to find a way to do a five-year anniversary special for Otaku Brothers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll have to think of something. please get at us in the Discord. Would people be interested in me reviving my Twitch page to do a live on-camera episode of Otaku Brothers? We'll do live questions. Maybe we'll play the original medley that I put together from the first 100 episodes because there's no way in heck I'm editing together a 
the last 56 episodes best of because that would just take way too long. And this is from Japan? No. <laughs> Everyone tune in at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'd probably either do it before or after. Okay, Japan. cool. That's what that's better because I didn't want to have to fly to Japan to sit couch with you. Or I could. You wouldn't do it for Otaku Brothers, dude? Dude, you think I didn't order my tickets last night? Of course I would. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if, if that is something that people would be interested in would come out for, I just don't want to revive my Twitch page and do up some big thing and plan something that, like, you know, I love Blink, but he'd probably be the only one that would show up. <laughs> yeah. And Lauren, by proxy, she has to show up. Yeah. So let us know. Get us in the Discord. Is that something that you'd be interested in doing? And uh, we'll think about it. I think it'd be a lot of fun if... People could get in the chat, talk about their favorite Otaku Brothers moments to this point, and mm-hmm. just kind of nerd out, do a normal show, but with an audience. Yeah, that'd be fun. Be fun. But all that being said, Ryan, nine minutes into the show, we haven't even started talking about our weeks. What's been going down with you recently? Uh, similar to you, just work's been a little chaotic. We're at the end of our kind of year uh, Japanese calendar, so just kind of wrapping that up. Just watching The Last of Us, which mm, I've yeah. really been enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, one more episode, I think, comes out this weekend, right? This Sunday, the finale. Here we go. Um, and then, who has time for life when there's all these RPGs to play? <laughs> yeah, like it's the. I think you were saying it's the year of the RPG, and it's very much the year of the RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really have a ton. I'm just getting back in the gym, doing all the normal adult things. And RPGing the hell out of life. Yeah. No, that's good stuff. And I, I think I would say the same. There's really not a whole lot going on here. More so just, yeah, work's pretty busy. That second rotation and that technology rotational program that I'm in um, has just been busy. I mean, it's just, yeah, learning a lot, but I feel like I'm going 100 miles per hour and drinking from a fire hose pretty much every day, uh, which is great experience. Yeah. Outside of that, Lauren and I, we are nearly two months to the day from our trip to Japan, we've already ordered all of our hotel tickets. We've got our rail pass so we can travel around Japan much more easily. Um, originally, we were not going to go to Hiroshima, mm-hmm. but we're going to be in Tokyo for like the first day. Then we're going to go to over to Osaka and Kyoto and spend a week there. And it's like a two hour train ride, I think, to and from to get to Hiroshima. And there's still like one standing building from like when when yeah the bomb was dropped and everything like that and there's obviously a giant memorial and uh, I mean it's just such a significant and yeah. sad piece of history that you just never know with the natural disasters and earthquakes I mean that building could fall at any point right yeah I mean they they have tsunamis and stuff over there I think it was 2011 maybe they had a really rough you're kind of like whispering into your mic today am I really fuck all right um. Is that better? No, it's fine. Yeah. Just okay. Cool. We we <laughs> so every time we record, our uh, audio changes like freaking drastically. Mm-hmm. And is that good? Yeah, you're good. Keep okay. talking, bro. Yeah. And this, I guess, this morning it just 180 what we had the last month. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when we record next month, I'm sure it'll be completely different. It always yeah. I like solving puzzles, so it's always fun to kind of come in here and tinker with things and mm-hmm. try and figure it out. Yeah, but Hiroshima is going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys like going to historical places, right? Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, I'm a, um, I wouldn't consider myself the a mountains hist- in Colorado and beaches. You like? 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself a history buff, but I think if we're going to be in Japan in in that mm-hmm. general vicinity, like, why would you not mm-hmm. go and visit that? Yeah, only two hours away. That's not bad. Yeah, I mean, break out the Switch. I think I'm going to bring my Switch and my 3DS when we go to Japan. Okay, what would you play on the 3DS? Well, I have my backlog of my 3DS. I have a nice handful of games that I want to play. I wanted, I was considering getting the newest Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem okay. Engage for the trip, but I thought I still have Fire Emblem Awakening sealed on my 3DS and I really want to play that because that's when I think the Fire Emblem series really took off in the West. For a long time, they didn't even localize a lot of the Fire Emblem games. Of course, we have the GBA, GameCube, and Wii Fire Emblems, but to kind of have that mainstream success really didn't start until awakening on the 3ds okay which is why subsequent to that we have like 25 fire emblem characters playable in smash brothers and all that kind of stuff but all that to say i like to play fire emblem awakening and i know we're kind of all over the place with tangents but i do have a tangent i mean it's just otaku brothers nature to go yeah, on I tangents mean, it is the show <laughs> i can't hold the 3ds anymore and we were just talking about this before we were recording that my joints are kind of really screwed mm-hmm. um I can't hold the 3DS anymore without my hands just cramping to all hell. Is it just because of how close they are together? Yeah, it just, it does not feel comfortable at all. Okay. Thankfully, I ordered on Amazon like a $12 ergonomic frame that you can kind of plug your 3DS in. Mm. And so it kind of stretches it out so your hands are holding it as if you're holding, I would say, a GameCube controller. The, mm. the grips kind of fit around in your hand where you're not just like holding. Oh, just the skinniness and then how close they are. Like a cardboard piece of paper. Okay. Yeah, a piece yeah, of cardboard. Yeah. Um, so that has helped tremendously in not constantly being in pain while I'm holding and playing with 3DS. Uh, and similarly, like the original design of the Switch ergonomically is fucked. Like, yeah. Do you, are you using, when you play the Switch, are you using, Lauren has those big like yeah. adapter hands yeah i mean holding my switch now it's basically plugged into what looks like uh the steam deck okay like it's a monstrosity but it helps my hands feel a lot better when i'm playing the switch yeah because i rarely play the switch undocked i Mm -hmm. usually have a pro controller just because it is i mean it's this a little bit thinner than the 3ds Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah yeah so anyways all that to say gonna bring the 3ds for fire emblem awakening and then the Switch, I don't know. I, I don't want to play two JRPGs at once, but I might start playing Xenoblade Chronicles 2 again. Monster Hunter Stories 2. I don't know if I'm going to go down that. Monster Hunter Rise. Well, you know. And then uh, there's always the superior game, Ruby. Uh, Omega Ruby on 3DS that you have yet to play because you have to go to Sapphire. No, no. I, so I I put, you look at my top 10 most played 3DS games. Number one, Pokemon... I, and I know this because I was just looking at my little library the other night. Uh, one of the best features of the 3DS is there's literally a little book that you can open. It's an application within the 3DS mm-hmm. that ranks your most played games. And as sure. you turn each page, there's an icon for each game you've ever plugged into your 3DS. And it shows you how much time you've played each game. It shows you on average every time you played it, how much time you put into it. Like just the statistics. That's terrifying. I... I- can you still download that? I'd be curious. No, it's it's was with it launched with the system. Like there's no downloading of it. It's already on. Oh damn! Every I didn't 3DS. know that was a thing. So yeah, if you're looking to go on a crazy adventure tonight, pull open your 3ds and see how many freaking crazy hours you've put into 
it's at least 3,000 hours across the two games. But my number one most played is Pokemon X at 98 hours. Okay. And then after that, I think it's like Dragon Quest VI. And after that, I think it was... 98 hours. Maybe Fire Emblem, Sacred Stones. Um, I can't remember what the exact games were, but like five or six is Pokemon Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby because I've played through both. Do they lump them together? No, two separate. Cool. Yeah. That's a, not a statistic I want to know. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. I, before I die, and I'm hoping that's like 50 years out from now, I will finish the shiny deck. You've only got like 10 more. I've got 20 more, but the problem is the system shut down, so I have to do them legit. For context, for any new listeners of Otaku Brothers, if you're still with us, because we've been all over the place on this episode, <laughs> but Ryan went on a crazy journey many moons ago to not just complete the Pokédex. He's not a freaking noob and just getting all 100, 721. He literally has 700 shiny Pokémon. Not 700 Pikachus shiny, like 700 distinct individual Pokemon. And it's not like for Charmander. You have, char- like, logged in your deck, you have Charmander that you can evolve into Charmeleon to Charizard, and you have just the Charizard. I have one of each evolution of 700 out of 720 of, yeah, the living So if you're learning about deck. Ryan for the first time, he goes pretty freaking hard. Yeah. If I go ham, I go ham. And, and cheese. Yeah, ham and cheese, the best of the sandwiches that go together. Um, yeah, so I have 20 left. And luckily, I have all the ones that you need for trading. Mm-hmm. So I can, it's just going to be hatching eggs. And I have the shiny charm, which you get from completing the Pokedex. So it divides the or the egg rate by two. And then there's different methods that you can do, but it's still like one in 2,000. Quite a grind yeah. ahead of you. And I, I have boxes upon boxes of just these useless egg Pokemon. So, yeah. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. When I feel like investing maybe another 2,000 hours to get those <laughs> remaining 20 Pokemon, I'll let you know. Yeah. But it's, yeah. There's so many other games to play. There are. And speaking of that, we probably should just get into it, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about other games. Please. I'm, I'm excited for Japan. I'm bringing the 3DS and Switch. We'll talk about that at a later date. But what I really want to hear about is all of the games that you have been playing recently. But maybe before we even get into our individual games, I think there was something that we enjoyed together not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> and it's been a long time coming, right? I remember pre-ordering a particular game before I even had an Xbox to be able to play it on, and that was Halo Infinite. Mm-hmm. I pre-ordered it. It launched with whatever that launch was about. You know, it just, it launched. <laughs> it, no, it didn't launch. It came a year after. That's right. right. And I don't remember people talking about the campaign much. I heard it was met with relatively okay reception. They kind of went a different direction with this open world. I didn't follow it too closely because... I was not going to come anywhere near the campaign until I could play the long promised by three, four studios co-op campaign. Yeah. I was talking to Ben about it, like singing its praises from at least one, our experience of the game. And he said it was hurt. He heard it was one of the worst. Mm-hmm. And so, so it wasn't received super well, but couch co-op is another thing. Yeah. So we thought, okay, we'll wait until they bring out couch co-op. And then, I don't know, three to six months ago, 343 says, yeah, we're just canceling that. We're, mm-hmm. we're not going to bring it. 
So that was very upsetting. But we also knew and learned that you could still play the campaign online with someone, with mm-hmm. a friend. You just couldn't play on the same console, couch co-op. So what we did, kind of broke the system a little bit, invited you over to the house, set up a TV next to mine. The LAN party. You got your Xbox One X working again, mm-hmm. whatever acronym. or I think I have the original Xbox One. Yeah. Yeah, the chunky one. That's right. And you finally got that working. And so we squatted up. Took about seven and a half hours to install the game on the Xbox. Dude, fuck. So Xbox, <laughs> get your shit together, even on your system. So we went to download. I mean, I downloaded recently Monster Hunter World on my PS4 or PS5. And it took about six minutes for 32 gigs. So Halo was around 80 gig. Mm-hmm. 60 I to think. 80 something like that and so this is we originally tried to do halo 5 because we just came off of four and we're like we should play these linearly linearly and we're like okay this shouldn't be too bad right i mean d- besides having two xboxes trying to download this mm-hmm. and it quickly went up and up and it started at like 30 minutes and then it went to an hour and then an hour and a half and we're like okay an hour and a half like it's it's five o'clock we, we can play by 6.30. That's cool. Then it went to like four and a half hours and just yeah. sustained at four and a half hours. And every minute it ticked down, it would just tick back up. And yeah. I don't think it left four and a half hours. And we're like, there's no way. So we ran over to GameStop. We're like, we're downloading it from online. I bought the- One of us had the disc. One of us did not. Yeah. I had Game Pass. I was for the $1 for the first month. Went over to GameStop, got a physical copy. We're like, okay, so this physical copy should help get rid of this four and a half hours. Did not. Nope. Still four and a half hours physical or from online. So we wanted to play Halo. We were trying to figure out countermeasures. We were trying to like, do we just Mario Party all night? We're like, no, we're going to play Halo. We did switch over to Mario Party while it downloaded though. Yeah, for luckily only an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... We ended up doing Infinite first. Yeah. And, and it I, was well worth that change. Definitely worth the wait. Like I yeah. was so pleasantly surprised, of course, as you might expect in the beginning of a Halo game, you kind of have some more corridor type missions where um, you're just running through the different uh, areas of a level, shooting up the grunts, all that kind of stuff. And then eventually, out, I would say about 45 minutes into the game, you reach the outside world mm-hmm. and you're kind of introduced to this open world. And then... In almost Ubisoft-like fashion, you have all these like little way markers on the map, all these different things that you can go here, you can go there. There's this enemy base that you can take over here. There's like this squad of guys that are kind of like tied to a wall that you have to go save over there. And so you and I just kind of like start making our way around. We kind of take out the the necessary first enemy base. And we're playing on Legendary, which is the only way to play Halo. That's right. And we're not finding it super hard in the corridor type. No, yeah. It, it was it was very doable um, on co-op. And then, yeah, it opened up into this world, and it was just like, hey, and you with Breath of the Wild, it was kind of over, overwhelming. But I think if you could do Breath of the Wild co-op, it would be a similar experience to this. That would be pretty sweet. You think it, they could... Do you think they do that for Tears of the Kingdom? You think the Switch is powerful enough? <laughs> well, that, but I, it'd be, I don't know, Tears of the Kingdom co-op would be interesting. Yeah, like I play as Zelda and you play as Link. Yeah. And just like I'm shooting magic, you're shooting arrows, and we're just liberating towers. They should try and do that for the next Zelda game, but. Come on, Nintendo. Um, Yeah, I I loved the 
Far Cry formula mm-hmm. that they kind of adopted here. It was a ton of fun, and it allowed us to kind of, do we want to do the main mission? We don't know how long it is, and I think it was eight hours to beat if you're cruising through eight to twelve missions. Yeah. And we're like, but there's this outpost over here, mm-hmm. and we got this new gadget. What is this? I can grapple up a mountain, and you basically Spider-Man yourself around the map, and then... As you liberate these areas, you get different upgrade coins to put into a, f- a few different attributes, whether it's your shield, your grapple, and the grapple. It, just only go into grapple because mm. that's the only thing that matters. You get faster grapple time. You get electricity grapples and just comboing, just pulling yourself to an enemy and then electrocuting them. You have the ability to beat them up like it's. The grapple without the grapple, I don't think this game would have been anywhere close to as fun. I don't think so either. And it reminded me for those that, you know, played the jank ass games that I played growing up. And I wouldn't even consider this game jank. This is actually a, at the time a really competent first person shooter. 007 James Bond, Agent Under Fire. This game also had a grappling hook. And I remember when my friends would play um like local four-player um, deathmatch, mm-hmm. we would do the same thing, just grapple and Spider-Man our way around the map, and it would just make for absolute chaos because no one could shoot anyone because we were just grappling all over the place. And in a similar fashion with Halo Infinite, we were exploring different areas of the map, and we would see that we'd have to kind of climb across this mountain or maybe at some point find an entrance into the mountain and go all the way through until we found the squad of guys that we had to save and we kind of just looked at each other and said, let's cheese the hell out of this. Yeah. And so I really don't think this is the way the developers intended us to get to these yeah. guys. But we basically scaled a completely vertical mountain to climb all the way over it and then snipe these people, snipe the enemies surrounding the guys that we were trying to save. And then eventually jumped down, got into a firefight, cleared the area, saved the guys and just being able to jump across these giant gaping gaps that if if we fall you fall to your death so there's like two continents kind of or two or three and there yeah there's just void to nothing and when we would you basically one of us is like okay i'll stay up here in case you die and so if you die you'll spawn back whatever and one of us is just like geronimo and just leroy like, jenkins across the gap just jumps across the gap and at the final second using your grappling hook to grapple to the other side and realizing that this is still part of the game, right? Mm-hmm. And then exploring that area and doing more of that side content. So satisfying and not even, again, the way the developers intended you to play, but you kind of, in what I would consider a very Ubisoft open world fashion, make your own fun. It's like a playground. It is. And what's really cool is as you liberate some of those bases, they become little outposts for you yeah. where you can pick the weapons you want. So you can go back to them and you say, hey, I want a freaking sword mm-hmm. and you can spawn a sword. So like as a secondary, a sword is freaking awesome. And we had some really cool experiences where like I'd be grappling around, like sniping for a respawn point and you would just run in, just swinging your sword. It, it was just a ton of fun. And in the spawn points, you can also, once you discover more of the world and you interact and pick up different uh, weapons or different um, machines and things that you can use to traverse the world at those outposts you can also spawn warthogs and some of those other vehicles so that you and your buddy it's like hey ryan hop on the back i'll drive and it just i feel like 
As you unlock and clear more of the outposts, the game rewards you constantly with new and exciting things to experiment with. I don't feel like everything's unlocked at the start. I also don't feel like you have to do a tremendous amount to start unlocking that. Mm-mm. I feel like it's just this constant flow and reward system for unlocking more things for you to play and experiment with as you clear more of the map. And I keep going back to the example of, to me, this screams early Far Cry 3, Far Cry 4 open world. And I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, hey, can we get to this place was the thing that, because I mean, for me, the way I play RPGs and for the other games, you'll I'll explain, but like, I'm like, hey, can I go to this area? It might be over leveled. I might be, I, I'll probably die really quick, but there might be some loot over there. Mm-hmm. And like, we're, I think, four missions through the 15 mission campaign. And I think once you get out of that kind of corridor, the main mission is to go to this big tower in kind of the center of the continent you're on. And I think you were like, hey, we should go to bed at some point because we played six hours straight. Six, Like, Ryan, I can't even remember the last time that, I mean, maybe God of War Ragnarok and stuff like that, but even God of War Ragnarok, I wasn't playing for six hours straight. I, was I, I think playing. the last would be the Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah. Right. It was we we were planning on recording and then it was eight (laughs) o'clock p.m. Yeah. We were like, oh, shit, we're not recording today because we just cruised through this entire game. Um, Yeah, I think you were getting you were like, hey, Ryan, we we don't need those extra things to upgrade a grapple before bed. We can do that in session two. And I was like, and then Ryan turns to me, bloodshot, like shaking. (laughs) I was like, we're getting these fucking upgrades. (laughs) But first. I need to scale this tower, which is like the tower you're supposed to go under it, clear out the things below um, in that big central tower. I was like, could I get above this tower? Mm -hmm. And it was me just trying to like figure out which upgrades I needed to respawn my grapple quicker to like slingshot my way in with the correct angles. And eventually it got up there and there's not a ton up there which i didn't really care it was just like holy crap i'm on the top of the mountain you found a hidden skull but i found a skull yeah which is to make things harder we never figured out how to put skulls on our gameplay mm-hmm. but yeah i mean it, it just it rewards exploration which i don't think halos in the past really did because they're really linear yeah but i mean we loved it because we were playing land co-op essentially couch co-op mm-hmm. i don't I wouldn't find this one as fun playing solo compared to the linear approach for past Halos. Yeah, I don't think I could play this Halo Halo solo. I mean, I know I I keep making comparisons to the Ubisoft open world, but I feel like this world is so open and I would even describe it as kind of empty to Mm -hmm. be playing solo. When you have two friends, you're kind of messing around, joking, grappling around. Who can get there quicker? Who can bash people with ghosts? Like, like you, all of that. You were literally grappling to me, right? Like you were, <laughs> yeah. like you were using me as a yeah. grappling hook to pull yourself forward. And so yeah. when you're doing that kind of stuff, it makes for just any getting to that next destination is fun in and of itself. But I think doing it solo, like in Far Cry, you have fucking jaguars and pigs and warthogs and crocodiles like chasing you. And so there's so much littered around the world that makes getting to your next destination exciting and fun. Mm-hmm. And Halo Infinite doesn't have any of that. Yeah. So to do that solo for me, I don't think would be as fun. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you're not making pouches out of like grunts and stuff. Yeah, there's not like, there's not a crafting system that, you know, those Far Cry games have. So 
it, it is pretty bare bones from an open world standpoint. Mm-hmm. I know we've talked about in the past, like for Halo to evolve as a series, we can't just have these corridor, like save the world as Master Chief type of things. What if they reinvented the character in a way that Santa Monica Studios has with Kratos in the God of War series? But now I'm kind of like, no, let's not do that. Let's let's build on the foundation that they've started with this open world design. I don't think that we could have three, four, five halos with this type of style, but I think at least one more would be pretty. I love to see how they build upon what they've done with this open world. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember any big changes to the formula in the past. It's mainly been changes to the weapons. I guess we got shields at some point. We got dual wielding in number two. We got like bubble shields and those type of things. I don't even, maybe in three or reach. And more so the multiplayer, the different modes, the maps, like all of that kind of stuff. From what I understand is infinite's multiplayer is really scaled down. Mm -hmm. Like it was hurting when it launched. Um, but I think the grapple is just such a big change to the formula Complete when you have all of the other kind of subsequent increases or changes that they made over the other. I don't know how they would improve upon that or what they would give to Master Chief besides like, hey, let's give him some rocket boots or which I think they have mm-hmm. in the past, like how they would change it. And besides something as minimal, but as huge as a grapple without keeping that same like master chief feel yeah it, it, i mean it's for them to figure out but with the grapple i think it's the grapple's the greatest thing. well i do want to play Which, online because um we haven't gotten back to the campaign outside of that one night that we played just because um been busy but i'd really like to play some of the online with you and other folks in the you know, talk about this community if they'd be down i know comeback kid a uh, friend of the show he's played uh, a ridiculous amount of mm-hmm. online. And I think he still does because I've seen him online playing um, playing Infinite online in, the, in more recently. So I'd love to do that. I've been completely surprised with Infinite um, in a very positive way. I'm sure once you and I eventually finish roll credits, 100% the game, at least from the campaign side of things, this will easily make its way into my top 10 games of the year. Oh, for sure. I mean... Yeah, I think all the games that we've played together, like Couch Co-op, have been in our top 10. It, it's just that fun, old school feel of mm-hmm. playing games. Yeah. And just the craziness that you can get into. Um, I'm excited to finish it or go back to it. Um, yeah, it, it was just a ton of fun. Yeah, so if you were like us and putting off Halo Infinite for whatever reason... Uh, carve out a day, install it in the morning when you wake up, <laughs> come back at night. Yeah, by nine o'clock, it'll be downloaded. And uh, enjoy just a heck of a fun game. But I would strongly encourage to squat up with a buddy because I think that's when this game is is at, at its most fun. Yeah, the only way to play this one. For sure. But outside of Halo Infinite, Ryan, what else you been getting down with recently? So it's been a little while because there's been a few RPGs that have launched in the last month. but. Mm-hmm. Hogwarts Legacy. That did launch, yeah. Did we talk about this one already, or has it been since launch? No, the last episode we let released, I think, was February 3rd or 4th. Okay. Which was like two weeks before Hogwarts Legacy even came out. Mm. Okay, so I got the game at launch, and it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really played, besides maybe the first uh, Harry Potter Lego game, any of the old school like PS1 uh, Harry Potter's, and this is kind of my first 
introduction to like a 3D Harry Potter explore Hogwarts. It is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I've looked at all four houses. I'm a Gryffindor. Yeah, we got to take a quiz beforehand that kind of sorts us based off of our zodiac symbols and signs and all that kind of stuff. So I'm a Gryffindor. I thought I would be a Hufflepuff, but I guess not. And um, yeah, I, I approach this game probably in not the best way. For like the, most RPGs. For, yeah, for the most optimal experience. But I am I've enjoyed my time so far. I've put about 25 hours into it. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, no, similarly for me, I I got the I pre-ordered it, got the deluxe version. So I got it three days earlier than the actual launch on I think it was Friday or whatever. And I also went to the Warner Brothers or Harry Potter.com, whatever it was. So it was I, confusing as hell. Yeah. So I filled out like whatever that little quiz was to kind of determine what house you should be what your Patronus is and also kind of what your wand theoretically should look like based on like the 10 questions you answer. Mm-hmm. And I was surprisingly a Ravenclaw and I thought that was bizarre. But then when I started reading into how Ravenclaws tick and their personality types, I said, that actually sounds pretty on brand for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, let's go for this because naturally I was like, well, I kind of want to be a Gryffindor. And when you first start the game, you have an introductory mission. You eventually make your way to the main hall where they're having dinner. For those that aren't aware, Hogwarts Legacy actually starts you as a fifth year transfer to Hogwarts. So you're starting your fifth year at the school, but you're still sorted into a house. And so when you go, assuming that you've imported that data that you've done, like the quiz that you answered on HarryPotter.com or whatever, the sorting hat will basically say like, hey, this is where I think you should go, but it'll still give you the option to say, hey, if you don't go want to go to the place where we think you should, you can still pick the other three if you want to. Yeah, you basically come up with a menu that says, you want to accept Ravenclaw or do you want to pick something else? And you don't have to go through another quiz. Mm-hmm. It just gives you all four options and then you kind of just pick. Which yeah. Because I wanted to, I made a second character as like my evil playthrough and I wanted Slytherin so I could just Avada Kedavra everyone. And yeah, you can just straight pick, which is nice. Yeah. And so I went with Ravenclaw and you get to customize your character and everything like that. And uh, the really neat thing about the game is as you're exploring Hogwarts, there's chests and all kinds of hidden things everywhere that you discover. And you can also go to Hogsmeade and buy. uh, That's where you get your wand. That's where you eventually get your broom. Everything that you would expect to outfit your character in in a Harry Potter game, you can do that. And in very much like a Dragon Age your other RPGs where when you put on a different outfit or equip yourself with a different hat or whatever, you see that aesthetically change on your character all the mm-hmm. time. Um, the unfortunate thing that I've seen so far is I'm constantly opening up chests and discovering things around the world. And that's being loaded into my inventory. Your inventory is significantly limited, at least earlier in the game. Yeah. So uh, that's, I think that was one of the big review issues that people had so you can in Hogsmeade sell all of your gear, and which is what what's nice is you have an overlay function. So the second you pick up a piece of gear, you can overlay any piece of gear that you've currently owned. Mm-hmm. So you can go right to Hogsmeade, sell all the shit gear that no longer is like the best, and then you can overlay whatever you want. Because originally I didn't know this, and I looked like the most dysfunctional student. I had like a top hat, like these giant sunglasses, 
like a Bane mask and <laughs> like freaking raggedy robes and like one shoe. And I was, I was like, if I came in as a fifth year and any teacher saw me, they'd be like, go to a different wizarding school. Yeah. Um, but what's nice is, yeah, you can, from the uh, armor menu or robe menu, before you actually click into an individual piece like your hat, um, you can just, uh, there's a option to then say, hey, what do you want to overlay, mm-hmm. which is cool. So you can you get some nice uh, drip yeah, going on. Yeah, as the kids say <laughs> as, the, as the youths say. Yeah. But- um, it's really nice. And then you can just sell off everything else. There is a way to increase your amount of inventory that you can have by doing stuff around the map. There's yeah. these little challenges. Um, so it does open up if you want to do that more, uh, some of those challenges. Yeah. And for me, I guess going and going back to my history of playing Harry Potter games, I, of course, have also played the Lego Harry Potter games, but I also go way back. I played the Sorcerer's Stone. I remember, remember renting it at Blockbuster or Hollywood Video on on PlayStation 1 and playing it around Christmas time with my mom and her boyfriend, or my mom's boyfriend at the time and my sister, and just being completely lost and immersed in that that universe. And now, of course, you see Hagrid and the blocky, horrible graphics <laughs> of of that era but as a kid, you didn't know any better, right? Yeah. And of course, I've said this a number of times on this podcast, but Jeremy Soule, who of course composed the soundtracks for Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim, he composed the soundtracks to those earlier three Harry Potter games, Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and Prisoner of Azkaban. So going and wandering around the castle and it being very much an open world game, as you go to your next class or you go visit uh, Hagrid at his hut or you just explore the grounds when you have that atmospheric music playing i had high expectations going into this game of like are they going to kind of recreate that ambient nature as you explore the grounds and explore the castle and i will say the music hasn't really done much for me but exploring the castle and just how intricately detailed it is and how much there is to discover and find like the earlier harry potter games all there really were were the um whatever those collector cards were that Harry opened up mm. and got Dumbledore. Oh, the chocolate yeah, card. the chocolate frogs. Yeah, like you basically collected those and Birdie Bot's Every Flavored Beans and that's all you collected in the original game. And in this, there's so much lit, like lore and history from the Harry Potter universe. So like I was just constantly spamming the Revelio spe- spell. <laughs> yeah. And when you do that, you can see like a silhouette of like, hey, if you actually walk up to this podium and use the Revelio spell, it'll tell you the history about this particular item in the castle. Yeah. And so constantly doing that completely outside of the game itself, you're just discovering everything there is to know about the Harry Potter universe in the school, which is so cool. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to explore. And um, so you didn't get super far. You got what? To Hogsmeade? Yeah, I got my wands. Um, there's a big mission in, um, in Hogsmeade. So I would say about about five to six hours in, and then I kind of just hit like video game fatigue and had to walk away from the game because I didn't want to force it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a big game. Um, shortly after where you're at, you actually get into like one of the icons on the side within the menu is talents and it's kind of locked off into a few missions after Hogsmeade. And once you get into that is where really the customizing how you want to play this game, what type of wizard you are. And one of the great things in that and just kind of generic spells is increasing Revelio. Mm. So it just 
imagine a regular Patronus, like in the third movie, which is like a little ball. Mm-hmm. And then you have his full deer Patronus, where it just does this shock wave mm-hmm. of Patronus. That's pretty much what the upgraded one is. Nice. And you can see tons of interactable things when it comes to some of those puzzles. Um, yeah, just you see it makes it a lot easier or better of an experience after you unlock that that's instead good. of just running into every room and revelioing like constantly 60 times yeah uh, well and that's that's what i love about the game so much is that you can't do like you just wanted to explore everything and do everything all at once but the game basically forces you to say hey you have to do some of these early quests you have to go to class you have to be a student at this school before you can use the alohomora spell so you see all of these different rooms that are locked. You can't open them. You cannot get access to those areas of the game yet. So you really are forced to be a student, do what your job is while you're there as a fifth year before you can actually explore everything you want to explore. And I love how the game does that because in any other RPG or Breath of the Wild, do you go back to that example? It's like you're basically Link. You're there to kill Ganondorf or whatever. So like you can go do and be wherever you want to be at any given moment. You're in a school. A school yeah. is going to restrict the access until you learn the necessary spells to keep exploring. And that, that was really hard for me. And I played this how I play every other RPG is, all right, let's see what I can explore. All right, there's some walls that I can't do. All right, let's go through some of the missions. And what I would recommend, because I I think at level seven, or like maybe a little bit after Hogsmeade, I pretty much said, okay, I have access to two giant regions. Let's see what I can explore. Yeah. So I spent like the rest of the time. Let's go through Forbidden Forest. Let's see how outside of the school bounds can I get to every area. And I realized until like after the talents tree, some of the other map is locked off to you. Mm-hmm. And the second I got that, I just kind of went ham. I'm like, I don't care if these are meant for like end game bosses. I'm going to see if I can get past them to like break my way through stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I got talents, I pretty much explored the entire map. And then realized I had like half of the shit unlocked. Mm -hmm. So how I would recommend people play this for. And I'm I think I'm only through level 16 quests or recommended level 16 quests. I would say get up to that point before you start doing the exploration. Mm -hmm. It'll, It'll really improve some of those interactions when it comes to unlocking doors, being able to get into certain puzzles. You'll have. Most of the spells for the puzzles, um, I think I'm missing one or two, but yeah, play through level 16 for main story, and then if you want to play an RPG like I usually play RPGs, then explore from there. Yeah, well, the last two things I want to mention before we move on to the next game, because I'm sure people are really curious about it, uh, for those that might not have played the game to this point, is combat, actually using your wand, but also going to class. Mm Mm-hmm. I found, because I've only gone to, I think, two or three classes at this point, because I'm still very early on in the game. In the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 era Harry Potter games, it really boiled down to you learn a new spell and then you go into a dungeon where you have to leverage that spell to just get to the ends of whatever like platform puzzle solving type of thing that Professor Snape kind of built for you. Yeah. Right. And it took like, I don't know, anywhere from like, 10 to 20 minutes to complete that thing and then you're kind of rewarded at the end for some extra points for your house this game it's much different i think when you go to a class it's you're still learning a new spell and and kind of using the spell in a way where it's almost like a glorified mario party a mini game 
mm-hmm. in certain aspects yeah. of of how you're using that spell. And you're oftentimes like competing with other students mm-hmm. in, in like a, a yard game or a mini game type environment to test out that spell. And to this point, I've not been disappointed with how genuinely fun going to class is. Yeah, no, going to class is a lot of fun. Persona, f- it's it's not like the Persona 5 where you have full like day and night cycles and stuff. I think you can change time at will. Um, but yeah, I've enjoyed all of the classes that I've gone through. I've gone through maybe three or four more past you. Mm-hmm. And they're, they've all added to the experience like significantly. Mm-hmm. They open up a ton. Um, so like herbology where you're growing plants, it allows you to then grow potions and buffs and stuff for when you get into combat, when you're doing that exploration. It doesn't feel like you're checking a box. It's like, okay, after this, now it opens up an additional component to the game. It op- Yeah. I mean, you, you're obviously going to do flying on a broom. So when you get that at like, I think it's around level seven, you're like, oh shit, now I don't have to run from town to town. Mm-hmm. And you're immediately allowed to use that whenever. Yeah. And that's so nice for even traversing the castle. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the classes do add a ton and they don't feel, they're enjoyable to do. Yeah. And then the other thing is just combat in general. And so at the very beginning of the game, I won't spoil story events or anything like that, uh, but you're kind of going through a cave and eventually you have to fight like these giant um, statue golems or something Mm -hmm. like that. And this professor that you're with is kind of teaching you the finer mechanics of how to use your wand and how to use combat. And just it almost feels Sekiro like where as they're coming near you, you'll you'll see a brief prompt on screen and you click a button just in time to kind of basically counter their move and then span the R2 button to kind of like hit them a bunch to take down their HP. And then again, as they come to attack, you have to keep countering. And so that initial bare bones combat was already like, oh, man. This is quick, seamless, satisfying, not too complicated, but complicated enough where I don't feel like I'm just mashing the X button or anything like that. But where it really gets fun is when you fight different types of enemies and you unlock different spells and you're swapping between the different spells to like pull a student close to you, get them up in the air, hit them a couple times where you have. And then as you're doing that, you have another student trying to attack you from the sides. You have to swap to a different spell and when I talk about it out loud, it sounds like, oh, gosh, that's that's a lot to learn, a lot to remember, overly complex. But once you actually get your kind of like your head around it, it is almost like a rhythm game when you're swapping between the different spells and fighting the different enemies. I'm really surprised with how involved it is because I feel like they easily could have just had a very spammy just, just click R for all spells, all spells just yeah. being the exact same. Yeah, it's. It's seamless once you get into it. Like yeah. you feel like a freaking wizard. You do. Which is how I've always wanted to feel. Yeah. And so to dive into the bubble. So imagine you have your shield, which is say a blue bubble. Your enemies could have a blue bubble, which is you can break with a normal spell, or you have like a red or a yellow bubble. And each spell has their own kind of color scheme. Mm-hmm. So you know when you're slotting that onto your four spells that you can have at the ready which spells go with which bubble yeah so say there's a red shield i want to shoot fire at that person it'll break their shield it'll be down and i can use my normal spell to attack them yeah and from there i can then combo shit so i can levitate them i can pull them towards me and just fucking blast them with a bomb and you're like okay 
they're going to eventually get that bubble back, but I know what I want to use for this character. Mm -hmm. And what's nice, as you kind of get further on past Hogsmeade, you get those talents, you're allowed to slot into, as you level up, you get like a skill point. And you use those skill points to go into talent trees, whether you want to just do generic wizardy shit. So you can get, you have four spells that you can use on your reticle. You can get multiple of those that you can swap between. Mm -hmm. So say I want to have like a normal, just normal spells, Leviosa, that kind of stuff, fire. And then I want to switch right to curses. So I can easily switch between those four and four spells, say, to like... That's more advanced type of stuff. Yeah. But then there's leveling up of the spells. So like you can shoot fire, but then you can have like a dispersing ring of fire, mm -hmm. which looks freaking awesome. Or your dash gets better. Um, or you can say specifically there's like a curses tree. Like if you want to be the Slytherin badass Voldemort, you can be. Mm -hmm. um, you can turn normal spells into curses. And then there's level up for just like the happy spells kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, the, the combat is as deep as you want to make it. And like within difficulties, I think from I'm playing on normal going up to hard mode increases like health and damage, like percentage, like doubles it basically or reduces your amount of damage you do. But as you, if you go down to like story mode, it actually shows you a prompt to help you out a little bit better. And like, I went down to that because I felt like even on normal mode, some of the enemies just felt bullet spongy. Like, I feel like I just needed to like continue to mash the thing. And on story mode, even I was still struggling at certain points because you still have to to shift to the different spells and use the different combos. You cannot just mash an X button and be successful in this game, even on the easiest difficulty. But to your point, they do have those prompts to make it easier to know what spell you need to use when. And the window. So like, as you were saying, where you have to kind of parry or click the like defend button, if you there's like a base circle and like a circle that kind of goes down as you're getting close to like the optimal time to click that parry. If you hit the parry at the, like the perfect time, like a perfect parry, you can then ex automatically expelliarmus the other person, mm -hmm. which breaks shields, stuns them. And yeah, I've been playing on normal mode. It, it's really, as you get more spells and as you upgrade them in the talent tree, I feel like normal is more and more doable because you can just break people in half. Yeah. And as you get curses, curses kind of allow them to take more curse damage. And then what you can do with like unforgivable curses is you can kind of spread the curse around to all the enemies. And if you evade a cadaver, one enemy who's cursed, it kills all other cursed enemies. Okay. Well, don't spoil too much here. We've, we've gone there, there's, it gets more and more intricate as you get more spells yeah. and it becomes more and more manageable. Yeah. So overall, Hogwarts Legacy, I think, is certainly meeting my expectations. I'm having very much like a reminded me of 2020 when I when Ghost of Tsushima first came out and I enjoyed the first couple of hours, but I wasn't really getting deep into it. And I put it on the back burner, came back to it like four or five months later and ended up becoming my my game of the year in 2020. And so I feel like I'm going to have a similar experience with Hogwarts Legacy where I just needed to kind of take a break. Uh, really after I finished Final Fantasy XII uh, in early February, I kind of just wasn't really sure what I wanted to play, what what I was really in the mood for. And as we'll get into this next game here that I'll talk about here in a second, um, I kind of just need some, something, needed something like that on the game side of things. But I'll come back to it. You're loving it. I really have enjoyed what I played to this point. 
I know a few others in our community are really enjoying it as well. So um, if what we've described at this point is your thing, definitely check it out. I know there's a lot of questions going around of like, if I'm not a fan of Harry Potter games, will I enjoy this? And I would say, yeah, I think you will. I think there are some limiting game design things that will irritate you more than it probably is for Ryan and I because we're so deep into Harry Potter and we've, we've you know, read the books, watched the movies, whatever. But I feel like some of that stuff, like the inventory thing and just some modern game t- gameplay decisions that they've made or not made that make the game kind of feel like early PS4 era that might irritate people. Um, but if you're a hardcore Harry Potter fan, I think you're going to gloss over those things. Yeah. So yeah, I completely agree. All in all, really great game. Looking forward to playing more down the road. Uh, but Ryan, why don't I fit something in here? Okay. So more recently, PlayStation VR 2 came out. Mm-hmm. And there was no way I was going to buy that because it's like $600 after tax. Just crazy. Yeah. And whether you look at PlayStation VR 1 or VR 2, I think it's very difficult to make a case that there is a must play game at the launch of either of those two hardwares. Uh, VR one, there's a nice little library there. VR two, I still, even with horizon call of the mountain, I don't think there's a must play game there for the equivalent of literally buying the PlayStation five. Yeah. That's just, there's just not compelling software there enough. I would say for the more casual people, right? People who listen to this podcast are probably just like rusty, you know, pulling up their britches a little <laughs> bit and saying like, I could make a case because but like your average person that goes to Best Buy and is just browsing, looking to try and find a, a video game because they buy one new game every three to four months. Yeah, they don't have like a top 10 list of most anticipated games that they plan on getting. going into the year. Yeah. Right. So like very difficult to sell those people on VR. But I've always had a curiosity and fascination with VR um, because I've never used it to this point. And I thought, well... Lauren and I had a pretty strong like year end reviews and we were thinking about, okay, like a lot of that money is going to Japan, certainly. Um, but I thought, what if I do what I did when we first bought the house? I sell a couple of games in my collection that I'm I have no desire to play anymore that would fund buying PlayStation VR one. And I wasn't even sure what the VR one headset was going for nowadays. Mm-hmm. So I started doing some eBay shopping some searching around and I was seeing VR one headsets go from like 120 to 150. And I'm like, bad. that's not bad at all. And so I was doing some shopping. I found uh, a bundle that I wanted to get. It was 140 after shipping came with the VR headset, all the necessary components and cables and the demo that just came with all base VR headsets. So Lauren came home from work. I was like, Hey, what do you think about this? Um, we kind of have a rule uh, as a married couple, like anything over a hundred dollars, we always like, let's, let's talk about this. Yeah, that's a good one. Right. And so she was like, yeah, go for it. Especially if you're going to sell a couple games to fund it, not a big deal. Do you know, just go for it. So I ended up ordering that VR headset, Astrobot Rescue Mission, which I've heard is pretty much the best VR title. You have to play it, especially for someone like myself that loves 3D platformers. Everybody's golf VR. Love my Hot Shots golf series. Everybody's golf no exception, and Skyrim in VR. You have to. Right. So all in all, like 180 bucks to get all that stuff. So I'm, I'm like waiting. My VR headset showed up in three days after ordering it. I was so excited. It was Saturday morning when it came in the mail. 
And for those that are not familiar with the VR tech, there is a crazy number of cables that you're hooking up. Mm-hmm. Plugging into your PlayStation 4, plugging into your TV, there's a power adapter, there's all kinds of stuff. And IGN had a great video to kind of say, hey, you got your fancy new VR headset? Follow this guy to hook it up. So I'm plugging all the cables in, starting and stopping the video. And then they're like, okay, now plug in the AC adapter to the back of the VR um, box and plug that into uh, an outlet. And I'm like thumbing through the box. I'm thumbing through the package. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm I'm missing this. This is not, the, the seller did not include this thing in, mm. in the box. So now I'm kind of freaking out. Like, did I throw something away? I could look in the trash. I hadn't. So then I, I'm looking through the box. I look, I go back and look at the original listing. He didn't include this as part of the photographs that he had taken, but I made sure to email him before I purchased it and said, Hey, just want to confirm that it's working. This has all the necessary cables and components before I press buy. He's like, yeah, it works. I tested it. It's all good. Has all the necessary stuff. Cool. So now I'm kind of pissed off and I send him an email and I say, Hey, I'm not familiar with the VR and all of its necessary components and things like that. You told me that it worked before you shipped it to me. So now I kind of feel deliberately misled because you don't, you didn't include the AC adapter that I needed to power on the VR headset. And I'm like, did you just forget to send it or did you deliberately lie to me? Mm -hmm. And he responded in like a minute and a half. And he said, I'm so sorry. I found the cable. I didn't, I didn't include it in the mail. I'll send it out first thing Monday and I'll include basically an extra thing for your troubles. And I said, that's customer service. It's all good. As long as you send this to me <laughs> and it works, you're going to get you know a perfect eBay rating or whatever. He sent it to me. We were all golden. He included um, like Until Dawn, some kind of roller coaster horror ride VR game, mm-hmm. which I was like, dude, heck yeah. That's, you didn't even need to do that. Yeah. Just, you just needed to expedite shipping. We're good. I'm a forgiving guy, Ryan. Yeah, I see. The mercy of Rusty. That's right. <laughs> and so once everything finally comes, the first game I had to play almost mirroring my experience opening the PlayStation 5 for the first time and playing Astro's Playroom, yeah. which showcased the functionality of the DualSense controller. I had to, to put in Astrobot Rescue Mission. And the moment I put on the headset and I start the game and I boot it up and I see our little pal Astro you have to like flick the controller to kind of like catapult him into the level. And I just start looking around and I, I see my little boy Astro waving to me and hopping around and laughing. I was just immediately overwhelmed with joy and happiness and very similar to my, uh, my PlayStation five experience and unboxing that when you play and experience something like this, you can't help but have to, Call your significant other or your friend or your parent or anyone that's close to you and said, you have to experience this too. Like you won't believe it, right? Mm-hmm. It was very much like the Wii, the Nintendo Wii when I first got it. And I played Wii Sports, Wii Bowling for the first time. And I'm like, dad, you won't even believe it. When you when you pull the Wiimote back and you push it forward, your hand, your me character in the game actually moves to the motion of your controller, right? And so in a very similar way, I was like, Lauren, you have to put on this headset and play this first level and asked her about rescue medicine. And she was just giggling and laughing and smiling ear to ear the same way I was. And I was completely blown away with the VR technology. And then you came over. Yeah. And naturally I was like, Ryan, ask her about rescue mission first level. You have to try it. And what'd you think? It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it makes me love Astro so much more. 
it, it I was afraid because I watched you play one level originally and I was getting a little motion sick and I was like, that's my biggest fear is like if I'm watching you, like you're jolting your head around because you're in that space. But like not knowing what that motion is and having it be quicker than what I'm like anticipating. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Ugh. And I get in there. I'm like, fuck, am I going to throw up in Rusty's house because like I can't play a VR game? And the second I got in, and I was actually controlling that motion. I know where I'm going to look. I was completely fine. And you just Astro is sitting in your controller in that center panel. And then you flick him in, go into the level, and it's just bright and happy. And you look around, and there, there's stuff far below you that you have to get to, above you that you can look around. And yeah, I similar to you, I just couldn't help but just smile and be yeah. like, this is freaking awesome. Yeah, for sure. And I actually pulled up a video on YouTube just to see some of the gameplay of Astro prior to buying it. And I immediately was like, oh my gosh, like I'm getting nauseous watching this person in a very similar way. It doesn't bode well for like spectating someone no. else watching it. But when I actually had the headset on and I was playing like you, I've never gotten motion sick to this point. I've played a couple hours of Skyrim. I've played a lot of Everybody's Golf VR, and I've played a little bit of Astrobot Rescue Mission. My longest play session was probably about an hour and a half with Everybody's Golf VR, and I've yet to get motion sickness of any kind. Yeah, the golf game was, I could watch pretty easily. Mm -hmm. um, we did, so I played through Skyrim just to see, like, is it a direct port from the other Skyrim games? And it is. Mm -hmm. Like, all of the glitches and shit that you have exploited in the past the chest in dawn star getting under wind wind helm to get to that smithing chest like it's all there which is great if you enjoy that which i do um but we figured out that you can change the menu to smoothing yeah pretty i mean pretty early on in that because you would move the controller and it would jolt. Yeah. But if you smoothed it out, like you, you're moving kind of with your head as far as like looking around with the bow and then you move basically just the left controller and the right one is done via your, you looking around. Very difficult to describe. It's very much like you have to have the headset on because uh, at this point I've had a number of you know friends of the show say, Rusty, you won't believe it when you play Astrobot Rescue Mission. Skyrim was already one of the most immersive video game experiences ever to this point, playing in a VR even more so. But until you put that headset on yourself, it's very much like trying to explain the 3D effect on the 3DS. Like until you actually have a 3DS in your hand, like that was probably one of the biggest challenges and hurdles for Nintendo from a marketing perspective is marketing the 3D because you can't include that in a control or, or in a commercial. Mm -hmm. It's like until you have that 3ds in your hands and experiencing it firsthand it's difficult to sell to people yeah what was funny or what was kind of cool in skyrim was using the bow and bow has always been fun for both of us you're a cat khajiit stealthy guy and me too and it was so you move the arrow reticle with your head mm -hmm. so you're like all right i'm gonna shoot there and it very much felt like, you know, an avatar, the guy who shoots lasers out of his head, like shoots bombs and stuff. Avatar Last Airbender or yeah, la as Last yeah. Airbender, like the bomb guy. Yeah. It felt like that. I'm like, all right, I'm going to squint my eyes and I'm going to Superman laser and I'm just shooting arrows with my mind. And it's yeah. just, yeah, it's an experience. And um, I mean, there's a lot of things that you wouldn't think as 3D within the Skyrim world. 
like doorknobs or looking at a bookshelf. Yeah. You're like, holy shit. Like, I feel like I could go up and grab that or pet the dog or just like you're looking at some of the character models and you're like, hmm, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could slap you and just like go on your rampage. Um, it doesn't always a hundred. I mean, it's Skyrim. It's 10 years old at this point. So it doesn't always translate. Cause I was looking, I was trying to shoot above the Jarl of Windhelm's head. Yeah. Everyone's going to know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the main guy, he's just sitting in his throne after you kill the dragon and, or after you escape the first area. And I was like, okay, can I put an arrow above his head? So I'd like tilt my head up right above his head, shot him right in the face. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I guess we're going to take down the town, but yeah, it, it's a ton of fun. It, it is. Really cool. it, it is very much like you just said it earlier. It's an experience. And for anyone that has an interest in VR, like I was very much caught up in the VR2 hype because uh, two friends of mine, Blink and uh, one of my good friends from work, he he also got the, the headset VR2. And he was texting me about Horizon as he was playing it, Call of the Mountain. And I was talking to him about like, what do you think if I got a VR1 headset? He's like, dude, go for it. Especially like Astro Rescue Mission, you're going to love it. And so... Um, I ended up getting it. Absolutely no regrets. If you have an interest in VR, but can't stomach the cost of VR too, and I don't blame you, I didn't want to either, go on eBay. Everyone's There's hundreds of listings for VR1 right now, and I feel like out of the box, you already have a significant library of games to pull from. I mean, my three must-haves day one were Skyrim, Everybody's Golf, and Astro, and I got all three of those games in the VR headset, like I said, for 180 bucks. So, not overly expensive. And if you've had PlayStation Plus for a while, about a year and a half ago, PlayStation Plus gave you like 10 free VR games, including Astrobot Rescue Mission, Moss, Tetris Effect, uh, I think Res Infinite, and a few others. So you already out of the box have about eight to 10 VR games that you could play. Uh, downloadable, of course, but you know you can play them nonetheless. So definitely worth checking out, especially with the, for the asking price nowadays. I think it no regrets on my end. And you said this is on your PS4 versus a PS5. Yeah, you can get an adapter if you, depending on if you, um, I, I wouldn't imagine that the, the person selling you the headset has, has done this already, but you can go to PlayStation website and use the serial number for your VR1 headset mm -hmm. and PlayStation will ship you a free adapter so you can use it on your PlayStation 5. I've heard the experience isn't the same i haven't tested that myself i've been i've been playing vr to this point on my playstation 4 but i think the option to play on the 5 is is doable you just need an adapter okay cool. so just keep that in mind uh but yeah vr1 really good stuff uh, outside of that i have one more game i want to talk about any anything else on your side of things i have three more games okay well let me mention this last thing and then you can go go ham on on the games you've been playing sounds good so one of the other things that I bought, um, I probably wasn't looking as forward to this as many other folks just because I feel like I got my fill on 3DS and I'm also historically, I wouldn't say the biggest rhythm game fan outside of going really deep on Guitar Hero and Rock Band back in the day, but Theatrhythm Final Bar Line, a collection of 300 plus Final Fantasy rhythm games for current generation consoles you can get it on switch you can get it on playstation i believe you can get it on xbox maybe not i'm not really sure um but i'd played theatrhythm final fantasy and curtain call on 3ds many moons ago put 
not as many hours as other people put into those games. I always clocked in at about 15 to 25 for both games and I was good. And in those games, on the very outset, you had access to a number of different games suite of songs. So like the more popular titles, you boot up one of these games on 3DS and you can play a selection of songs from Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy XIII, maybe Final Fantasy XI, the MMO. And it's kind of like the greatest hits collection from each of those Final Fantasy titles, right? Yeah. And where Final Bar Line is different, and I think in the best of ways, is at the very beginning of the game, they kind of give you a tutorial and you can select like four characters that you want to be as your party. And in a similar like RPG fashion, you want to have someone who's physically powerful. You want to have a tank who can kind of draw damage. You want to have your medic. And then you want to have someone who's like more powerful in magic, mm-hmm. right? And these, you can mix and match and have Cloud from Final Fantasy VII, Terra from Final Fantasy VI, Lightning from Final Fantasy XIII. You can mix and match characters from a variety of different Final Fantasy titles, right? With the beginning of Final Bar Line, you get one key. And you can see that anything from Final Fantasy One all the way to spinoff titles like Chocobo's Dungeon as possible titles that you can unlock and start playing their suite of songs. And naturally, I unlock Final Fantasy XIII's suite of songs first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I get through four or five of those songs and I unlock another key. So then the game kind of forces you to make a choice. Where do you want to go next? Do you want to unlock a series of titles that maybe you're more nostalgic for? Like for me, Final Fantasy IX. Or maybe do you want to unlock a series that you're completely unfamiliar with the music, but you're curious what it sounds like and unlock something like Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. And so that constant choice that they give you as you play a couple songs from each title and you can figure out where you want to go, nostalgia or explore something new, it's just an incredible balancing act. And I feel like this game is kind of met with like a blessing and a curse for me. A blessing in the sense that I have 300 plus Final Fantasy songs that I can play through in rhythm game fashion. It's a lot of fun to play, even with a controller. Of course, different than the 3DS game where you're using the stylus to kind of hit the notes mm. on the bottom screen, okay. right? But Final Bar Line, a blessing in the sense that I have all these songs that I can play. I'm overwhelmed with nostalgia for one second. Another second, I'm exploring music from Final Fantasy Mystic Quest that I'm like, damn, like, I really got to check out Final Fantasy Mystic (laughs) Quest now, right? A curse in the sense that now I want to play basically like every Final Fantasy game all the time, right? Uh, But I think what the balance that a game like this strikes is that you still feel like you're getting so much of the Final Fantasy experience because you're playing the songs, yeah, right? And so pretty much every single night for the past two weeks, that's all I've been playing. I think I'm, I've already clocked in like 25 hours. Wow. I'm at 70,000 Rhythmia. Um, of all of the Final Fantasy titles available to me, I think I've cleared 13 to 15 different titles, and I still have a heaping ton of content to get through. And they have a plan of releasing tons of DLC over the next many months, including songs for Chrono Cross, Chrono Trigger, the Near series, Octopath Traveler music. Ooh. Yeah, so much DLC that's going to be coming down the pipeline. And honestly, I'm going to be eating it for months. I am i don't ever see myself uninstalling this game for my PS5. 
Wow. I'm enjoying That's it that much. a lofty freaking statement. <laughs> I can say definitively, even in March, it's my comfort food game of the year. I'm going to be going back to this every single month, well into deep into this year, and I think well after 2023, for sure. So out of the, what, 300 plus songs, you're, what, halfway through? Yeah, so there's um there are these things called feats, and I've done 41 of the 100 feats. Mm. And feats could be play 100 songs clear 300 songs the other thing about this game it's just dopamine releases to all hell so every time you complete a song it tells you you unlocked three collectible cards you unlocked another song you you're just constantly unlocking all kinds of final fantasy goodness whether it's concept art or collectible cards it's just constantly rewarding you okay that's good even if you're not unlocking trophies because i'm playing on playstation 4 you're unlocking all kinds of other stuff that's just constant dopamine release, always getting you excited to play one more song. I tweeted about it the other day when I posted my beat tweet. The game almost has like this hypnotizing effect where I say, okay, I'll play one more song. And then an hour's pass and I've played 15 more. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm really enjoying my time with it and I'm going deeper than I've gone on a rhythm game since something like Rock Band 2. Wow. Which is saying a lot. That is saying a lot. Yeah. yeah. So you can get it, I think, for 40 or 50 bucks, current generation consoles, whether you're into Final Fantasy or just rhythm games in general, highly recommend checking it out. So why are you playing it on four, not five? Well, it's a PlayStation 4 title. I'm playing it on my PlayStation 5. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so yeah, Final Bar Line. That's really the last game I'll mention. I also, a game I was greatly anticipating coming into the year, I'll briefly talk about this, Clive and Wrench. Yeah. 3D collectathon platformer. I've been following the development of the game for years. It's your buddy plat- mascot platformer, where in this game you're playing as Clive and Wrench, a bunny, and his pal, Monkey, and was not reviewed well. Really? I mean, people were giving this game threes, fives, twos out of tens. It was not getting great reviews, and I had already pre-ordered the collector's edition. I don't care if this game got zeros across the board. I knew that it was a game meant for people like myself. And I played it for about 30 minutes last night. And I can see why it got the reviews it did. Um, immediately, just controlling the character felt very sluggish, very mm. slow. Moving the camera, talk about a snail's pace. Like It just does not have the fluidity of movement that I would expect in my 3D platformers especially coming away from something like tiny kin that we played last year where now i have this bar to clear for like indie and highest bar indie under the radar 3d platformers and clive and wrench is definitely at the very bottom of the totem pole uh, at least from early impressions of those types of games that i've played in the past couple of years but um I'm still going to play it to completion. You know I'm going to platinum this game. You know I'm going to collect everything there is in the game. I'm going to do it. I'll come back with deeper impressions at a later episode, probably when we come back in April. But initially, I can see it's a little rough around the edges. Uh, I think a couple patches are underway. But unless your name is Rusty Ari Lewis 2011 or Blink Blinkum, I just don't think this game is going to be for the broader 3D platforming fans. That's fair. That's good to know. Yeah. As I, I mean, coming off a of Tinykin, so, and you were describing this as like a similar envi- environmentally, besides the controls, is it similar but without the Pikmin, but like more the, the buddy system? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it. Uh, the story kind of sets off where 
you need to go save the world. You you take off in a, a refrigerator as a time machine and you go to each world is set in a different time period. So you go to ancient Greece, you go to like your neighbor's house, you go to the wild, wild west, you go to like kind of a creepy graveyard, very Banjo-Kazooie inspired with the world design, but kind of the, I guess, plot, the plot hook is that you take this refrigerator to various time periods. Okay. Is it still like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids environment? Just that one, just that one where you're, you're in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Everything else is a little bit different, but yeah. Interesting. More impressions at a later date, but right now, a little rougher on the edges. Okay. For Clive and Ranch. But please enlighten the good people, Ryan. I want to hear about Octopath Traveler 2. <laughs> yeah, so this is the game that made me stop playing Harry Potter. Um, I'm not done with Harry Potter, but I mean, I've loved Octopath. And then there's a new game that made me stop Octopath. There's just too many RPGs that are coming out back to back, and I want to get them. their, I guess, raw early impressions of them and play through them. It's not like I played 25 hours of Harry Potter. I played 25 hours of Octopath. So I'm like, I'm a good chunk of the way through it. Um, and then I stopped that for Wulong for a little bit. But Octopath Traveler, it, it captures the same magic mm. that the first one does. I believe they left, left the same theme song between one and two. Just that it's just a great song. But um, as far as soundtrack goes, which is what you care about, yeah, it's up there i haven't heard all the songs but as far as like the individual character themes so i guess the whole premise of octopath is there's eight paths or oct paths Mm -hmm. that you can do there's each one has a specific role so you have like the magic type characters there's three of them there's like an apothecary a scholar and a cleric each have their own kind of healing slash damaging magical roles And then you've got kind of the main damage dealers like you do in RPGs. You have a warrior, which is kind of just hit shit with a sword. And then you have like the hunter based class, which is greatly improved from the first game. Mm -hmm. So in Octopath 1, the hunter, basically you can capture any enemy that you run into after you weaken it. So similar to Pokemon, captured in Pokeball. But each of the monsters in one had limited use. So say I use my, my Pikachu like five times (laughs) i'm getting aggressive i'm hitting tables so say he used my pikachu five times then i no longer have a pikachu Mm. i have to go out and catch another one Mm. but in this game uh once you catch a pokemon or an enemy um you can use it unlimited amount i didn't know there was monster catching in this game yeah yeah it's really good too so um ochette is the character's name she's kind of like an animal character a beastie and she goes out and captures or hunts for different monsters. And then you can use like normal attacks like spears, swords and stuff with her. But you can also summon unlimited amount of times these monsters. Okay. And they each have. So without getting way too in depth. Into yeah. The combat, keep it bare bones here. Yeah. So there's different weapons and each of your enemies have a shield until they're broken, which allows you to do kind of critical damage. So each kind of of the enemies can be weak to spears or uh, bows or swords. And as you whittle down their shields, say they have three, they're broken. Well, I've heard one of the, the the bigger mechanics of both Octopath 1 and 2 is that it's not just your typical turn-based RPG where you just kind of mash the X button, level up, overpower the other characters. You have to identify the vulnerabilities of your enemies. Yeah, and that's kind of what you're doing. Yeah. So what's cool is you can, with her, use like, 
say the enemy's weak to a bow, you can use her bow to weaken it. Mm -hmm. Or you can have a powerful bow-related damage monster and either do AoE damage or specifically bow damage to one, depending on that monster's ability. So these characters basically act as support for your overall battles with your main character. And so like, there's one character that I got later in the game that attacks the monster, all the monsters on the other side of the field and gives me attack up and defense up mm-hmm. for like three turns. Okay. And I don't, it's not like specifically, ter- I mean, it's turn-based, but not like a Final Fantasy VII, the original was turn-based. You get battle points mm-hmm. each turn, so it allows you to buff specific attacks. So say I want to do a really strong sword move. I can use after waiting three turns or four turns, I can use four battle points and hit with my <laughs> hit with my sword like four times, mm-hmm. which can whittle away a sword-based shield four times to break it. This is very complicated. Yeah. So it's all about the synergies of your characters. Um, you have like those base eight jobs or classes, and then you're allowed to apply a second job to them. So, okay, cool. So say I want a I like my Ochet, the hunter. I wanted her to have some of the attributes of a warrior. So I went and found the job in the guild for warriors, attached a hunter and a warrior. And in battle, they change their outfit depending on the secondary class. Okay, cool. Which is pretty cool. Um, Yeah, I'm having a ton of fun. Rick, my old college roommate, played the shit out of the first one. I went on Switch the other night, and I always like seeing how many hours people have played certain games. And I think he already has like 75 hours in Octopath 2. Yeah, in the second one. I think he played the first one maybe 600 hours. Holy shit. He's beaten it maybe three times. He knows just freaking everything. In the first first one, I had trouble with it. I maybe put 100 hours into it, but I never really got through all of the- Clearly you struggled. I did. It's 100 hours of pure struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, And this one- um, we were we were going through it together and figuring out synergies and there's those basically those eight jobs but there's hidden job classes that you can find after boss battles and we found a really fun way of leveling up so it's basically like Russian roulette with buffs and debuffs mm-hmm. so I think it was a dancer class I won't go into specifics because no one's going to know what I'm talking about uh, which I've learned most of the time oh. we don't <laughs> most of the time we don't basically. How do I simplify this? You're having fun, right? That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get one of the attributes from the dancer class, which allows you to, it was, I don't know the specific language, but it allows you to um, do something curious happens whenever you use a move, which Mm -hmm. means you have no idea what the fuck is going to happen. And it could bring you down to one HP or everyone in the party, or it could summon a golem and wipe the entire other side. Mm-hmm. So what we did or what we figured out was you basically apply, like you can transfer BP or battle points to allow one character to buff four times. So you basically buff four times a lot. So you can use that move. The something curious happens four times. Okay. So the most amount of buffs you can have in one turn and we basically so you and Rick are trying to find ways to break the game. And we did. We yeah. did. It's so fun. So you go into a battle and you say, "Okay, I use this random buff thing four times and I've had my team wipe itself." Like basically, I 
it brings me down to one HP for all my party, and then it shoots meteors at myself, and I've wiped my team, or I've had it do a hundred times XP, <laughs> and you're like, there's a big difference between those two, or it buffs your entire team, or buffs the other side, but like once you get those like time ten XP, ten times a hundred XP, you're like, oh shit, I'm leveling up like five times when I uh, come out of this battle victorious. Nice. So I did that for a few hours. I gained like. So the most expensive like summon that you can do in a battle is 30k. Over a couple hours, uh, and like the most expensive armor is around 30k to like 50k. I had about half a million gold within two hours of grinding. Wow. So like you quickly level up, whereas I felt like in uh, Octopath 1, it was a lot slower of a grind, like more okay. old school blue red version type grinding well that's what i was going to get into so kind of like one compared to two i heard one of the complaints yeah i want to, I want to know a couple of things and then we can kind of move on here but like okay. i heard the story in one was kind of underwhelming a lot of people played it for like 20 30 hours put it down because the story wasn't compelling enough do you feel like the story is more compelling in two or about the same so individually and in what i've heard because i haven't played all of the stories i've played four out of the eight which is a lot yeah and not all the way through. So that each story has four chapters. Yeah. Um, the stakes are a lot higher in these and a lot darker. Okay. Um, so probably more exciting then. Yeah, more exciting. Like, end of the world, becoming a king. Like JRPG shit. Yeah, JRPG shit. Um, a meteor is going to crush everyone. Like, just normal JRPG shit. The only one that I've heard is like not super high stakes is a dancer wants to be like famous mm -hmm. kind of thing. And that's normal dancer shit. Like if you're a dancer and you don't want to become famous, are you really dancing? I don't know. Or are you just like jumping around in your garage? So <laughs> <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah, we have. And that's why I'm not famous. So yeah, I think the stories definitely are an upgrade to what they were in the first one. Okay. And then we already talked about the... The, the combat to no end and then we always talked about the music but can someone pick up octopath 2 without having played the first yes they're completely separate games um i believe from what i've heard and i mean i didn't play or pay a hundred percent attention to all the like the dialogue and stuff i believe there are references to the first one in the second game but nothing that would they're like separate storylines separate characters they're not going to intertwine with the first group and like the first ones was one big continent that you could kind of run across. And this one actually is two separate continents, similar to like Game of Thrones, where you have Westeros and Essos. Mm. It's kind of like that with okay. some islands scattered in between. So nice. It's a good change up to the formula. I think definitely worth getting. If you're choosing between one and two, I would just go with two, the yeah. newer of the two. Um, obviously, listen to Octopath One's soundtrack because it's my f the best soundtrack ever made and i think that's official i think so one of the things i've been kind of figuring out like what i want to get when i go to japan um and initially i'm like i'm gonna get a japanese ps2 and i'm gonna get a million <laughs> ps1 games and i'm not gonna do any of that because i don't play my playstation one my american uh, ps1 and ps2 games enough to warrant getting an entire another library in a different language i can't even read or comprehend <laughs> um, you have big aspirations but yeah but one of the things I am going to be on the, uh, the lookout for while I'm there, aside from like figures and, and merchandise type stuff, is soundtracks. Mm -hmm. And there are two soundtracks that I'd love to get while I'm over there if I can find them. What, on vinyl? Is that what you're searching for? Or just no, just the actual CDs. Because oh, okay. that um, 
the folks, the listeners don't know because they can't see, but originally there was this corner of my game room that I was really originally going to outfit to be Pittsburgh Steelers corner because I'm a very big fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers and I have an unauthentic Steelers helmet encased and it was kind of up on this mantelpiece and I was going to frame a couple photographs and put that over there. But then I thought that's just kind of uncharacteristic of the rest of the room. Yeah. And so I have this kind of old school record player. You can also play cassette tapes and CDs on that thing. Uh, I, I put that there instead of the helmet and I brought up from from downstairs all of my video game vinyl soundtracks and some of the CD soundtracks I have from games as well. But when I go to Japan, I want to continue to build upon that, I would say, very modest collection, especially on the CD side of things. Xenoblade Chronicles, okay, one of my favorite video game soundtracks ever. I literally, the past two weeks, I've been overwhelmingly stressed with work. And Lauren, for my birthday, actually got me... Um, not AirPods, but a different brand that have voice or noise canceling effects. Oh, cool. Um, and they're, they're portable. There's no, literally no strings attached to the, the actual headphones themselves. I've been listening and going on walks with Scoob during the workday, listening to the Xenoblade Chronicles soundtrack, um, immediately brings me like peace of mind. Um, but I love to get the physical soundtrack for Xenoblade Chronicles one and, Octopath Traveler. And then Kingdom Hearts 3 uh, intro song. I should have gotten you that CD too because th- that single. Yeah. W- what the Skrillex with girl voice on it. Yeah. Is, which I think is the title name. I don't think it, it so. Was, it was. Yeah. There was tons of singles everywhere. I wish I would have gotten you that. Um, Hikaru Utada, I believe is her actual name. Not girl face on. Girl voice. Girl yeah. Voice. No, I. it's a great song. And yeah. Well, I already have the Kingdom Hearts 1.5 plus 2.5 collection of songs um, on CD. It's like a 10 CD collection. Um, I already have that. I have the famous Skyrim soundtrack signed by Jeremy Soule. I have a number of other CDs over there. But yeah, I think adding Xenoblade Chronicles and Octopath Traveler when I'm in Japan would be excellent additions. Yeah, I think so too. To the collection. So, okay, cool. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying Octopath 2. I still need to get around to the first one. I just... I put a couple hours into it. It's phenomenal, mm-hmm. especially if you're a fan of those more Super Nintendo PS1 era JRPG Octopath, definitely with that two and a half D uh, graphical style. Yeah, it's just it it's beautiful. So definitely worth playing. Um, excuse me. The game that made me stop that one was Wulong came out and I was curious what was going to oh, go yeah. happen with that one. Um, originally, I was going to get this. And then I ended up just getting it on Game Pass because I wasn't sure if I was going to, similar to my Neo purchases, not be able to play through all of those because yeah. I suck. And I definitely say this is more accessible than Neo. And maybe Sekiro? Um, yeah. And so it's got something, it's kind of like a Sekiro-like, but not fully. So the parry slash dodge button are both the same so you got circle usually as a like a move or an attack would come at you you use the dodge button and you kind of just roll out of the way for this one as the attack is coming you'd still use the same button but at the right time you'd kind of parry it and you can go different directions which is kind of weird usually Sekiro you just parry in the same spot Mm -hmm. for this one you do parry with a movement okay so like similar to the same movement or the same 
inputs that you would do for like a dodge roll. Yeah. So say I do right and then the parry at the right time. I would go right and then they would kind of go left as if they were pairing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They stagger a little bit. It's something to get used to. If there's some lag, it's like Sekiro didn't really have any lag. It was just a solid game where you felt everything was fair. From what I've heard for some of the later bosses, there's a bit of lag just from either capability or built for last gen, which makes some of the fights feel a little unfair, but... Overall, I enjoyed what I've played through so far. How many hours into Wolong are you? I didn't look up hours, maybe five to ten. Okay. I, I've gotten through three bosses. Mm-hmm. And so the first boss is the one that I've heard is the most challenging. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that's kind of the the thing that stops people from playing, which I completely understand. But after that the next two bosses don't have as number of stages that the first one does. So it makes it definitely more doable. Um, and then after, so say you, it, I guess the upgrading is a little unique. Mm -hmm. So you have different virtues. So there's water, fire, metal, rock virtues, which isn't the normal HP kind of strength, dexterity type upgrade. So it's a little confusing. I had to look up a guide. Um, Definitely, if you're going to invest in playing this game, look up a guide on what the hell this actually means. Okay. So there's a leaf one, which is what I initially invested into because it gives you more HP and kind of helps with some of those spirit um, regenerations of your spells. So that's what I was doing. But what's nice, after the boss that I'm stuck on, number four you actually kind of get access to a place where you can respec whenever you want. Oh, okay. Which cool. in Dark Souls, I think each playthrough, Dark Souls 3, you have five respecs. For Elden Ring, you have like a limited number of respecs based off of a weapon you have. But for, and for this, those that don't know, respecing is like changing your entire... Yeah, you basically go down to base level and then you say, hey, you're level 50, you start at level one, you have 49 different places to put your... Reallocate your experience points, yeah. basically. And say, and you, you're constantly changing weapons. There's a good amount of weapon variety. But as you change weapons, those weapons scale to specific, in, say, fire or mm. leaf. Okay. So once you get past boss four, say you get this really cool katana that scales with fire. And I'm specced into leaf for the HP and that kind of stuff. I could go back and say, hey, I just want to be a fire build for now. Mm. Say I pick up a, like a cool stick. Or uh, like that bamboo stick, um, and it scales with metal, and I'm built into fire for those katanas. I could go back, respec right into metal, and be proficient with that. Okay. And that ability to customize is really, I think, new to this game. Neo was very much you're stuck in what you are. Mm-hmm. Um, this is more accessible than Neo for sure, um, and the gear that you get, it doesn't feel like it's constantly just you get rid of it like mm. Neo. Okay. So like you pick up something new and you're like, okay, why would I ever stick with this specific piece of gear? Because I'm going to get something in two minutes. Whereas this one, you can, if you find something you like and it's a decent star ranking, you can run it through the entire game. Okay, cool. From what I hear. So um, pretty accessible. The graphics are a little iffy in some places. I think they're going to patch some of that. Um, so it is an active, what, Team Ninja? They're mm-hmm. pretty active in the community 
kind of feedback and community managers getting on some of um, the complaints or the criticisms. Okay, so, cool. Pretty active still. Good time. Worth trying out. Uh, I'd definitely say get past that first hurdle of that first boss. And unlike Sekiro, which that pair mechanic was pretty brutal for that start out, you can level up in this game. So you can mm. grind levels if you're having trouble. Say you want more HP, you can spec into that. Okay, I so like that. that. That should help level the learning curve a little bit. Okay, cool. Yeah, I installed it on Game Pass. I haven't gotten around to playing it because I just can't pull myself away from Final Bar Line right now. But maybe I think my post kind of similar when I was studying for the CPA exam and like I had a copy of Bloodborne sitting right <laughs> right next to my computer like, okay, Rusty, just pass this last exam and you can finally play Bloodborne for the first time. My my next game will probably be Resident Evil 4 Remake okay? because that comes out two days after my birthday, I think. By the way, I'm turning 30 this month. Holy shit. Crazy. Right. And we have a giant birthday party bash going on, going down in two weeks. Yeah. I ordered you your walker. I have mine kitted out. Dude, so. my knees are pretty screwed up. So, <laughs> yeah, I've got some spinner rims on yours. So you sweet be, when you sweet. check into the nursing home in the next year or two. We'll, uh, I might need it. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah. So, anyways, I think my next big game that I'll probably go deep into will be Resident Evil Four Remake. But down the line, I do want to give Wolong a, a chance because I, I don't think I'm ever gonna really go back to Sekiro. And go deep into that maybe someday down the line but i just i've been burned by that game at least two or three times trying to get into it i can't i know you love it i'm sorry play final fantasy 15 for the love of god <laughs> and maybe i'll try sekiro yeah I, I tried to make that deal with you if i play 15 you'd go back to sekiro but um yeah i mean it's it's my favorite game so like having this one set kind of be like it i think it's worth trying as like a gateway drug <laughs> yeah. into Sekiro's combat. but Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but I do want to give it a try. Installed it on the Xbox. I uh, definitely would encourage others to give it a shot. And then, hey, if I really love it, maybe I'll actually buy it for PlayStation mm -hmm. down the line. Yeah, and then the other game that I really want you to play this year at some time is Monster Hunter. Yeah, we'll see if we can sneak in some Monster Hunter World Time. I, I agree with you. I do think it would be really... It would add to my experience going to Japan given how much... Like culture, I mean, that's the biggest handheld game. They, I mean, you have the Final Fantasies, you have the Fire Emblems, but like Monster Hunter on 3DS on train rides and stuff between like cities. Like it's like a freaking holiday when a new game comes out. It, it's freaking massive, yeah. and it's understandable having jumped into World and then now into Rise. And I've been playing some more Rise um, and Sunbreak this past week or this past month. Um, I took a year off from the original Sunbreak release and I went back to it. I think I mentioned it last time we recorded and I ended up beating Sunbreak as well. Yeah. And I'll talk about that briefly because I've gotten to combat schemes in three different games already. So yeah, we well, let's to... not. You, you beat yeah, Sunbreak. So... I'm really happy for you. But what I wanted to say <laughs> is um, you, you literally talked about Sunbreak for 15 minutes last episode. It'll be quick. It'll be quick. Okay. Well, give me a second here. Okay, cool. Um, but what I'm really excited about if I do play Monster Hunter prior to us going to Japan is there, Laura and I are very big into karaoke. At least I am. And karaoke bars are just huge in Japan. And there's one karaoke bar in particular where there's different themed rooms that you can rent out. And I'm sure a lot of it is you have to reserve it well in advance. But 
there is a themed room that's completely decked out with Monster Hunter related things. There's Monster Hunter weapons all over the walls. I, I think you can literally order Monster Hunter themed drinks. Like it's crazy how obsessed like people are with Monster Hunter over there. And I love that it's made its way into literal restaurants and bars and karaoke. Yeah, stuff. they've got like a giant great sore above like a doorway. I'm sure like they probably don't have the cats cooking like they do in Monster probably Hunter. Probably not. But yeah, I mean, those big theme or like before each hunt, you have the cats cook you like this giant freaking meal. So I'm sure some of the ramen is kind of set up that way or like in Rise, they have like little block like. I don't know what the dessert is where it's kind of that filled puff. Mm-hmm. Um, just probably those on a stick. Like it, it looks awesome for yeah. me. It's a dream. Just looking at that as like a man cave design, which would be awesome. We'll see because uh, they do have a Capcom store over there. And as much as I would just love to get a bunch of resident evil stuff for myself, um, we'll see if I come home with like a Rathalos face mask or something. <sighs> And that's the only thing I'll wear on the podcast to record. <laughs> I'll just be Rathalos Ryan or yeah. Terry, depending on how it <laughs> yeah. goes. <laughs> you go through with changing your name. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, anyways, we uh, I have to get to a movie here soon with my dad. So uh, we have one more thing that we have to get to before the end of the podcast. But I think it's important for us to kind of take a break, allow everyone to go refill their beverages. We do have a listener question. Mm-hmm. to get to yeah we'll just gloss over sunbreak well i hope you wouldn't remember but <laughs> yeah. uh, i'm sure it'll be showing up at the tail end of the year when we talk about our favorite games played over the course of the year otherwise i would really encourage everyone to go listen to episode 155 episode 93 episode 76 episode 54 <laughs> episode 27 yeah. and episode 17 where ryan talks about in total let me check my notes 475 hours of monster hunter he talks about the gameplay. He talks about the weapons. He talks about how you grind. He talks about how you break the game. He talks about literally everything you'd ever need to know about Monster Hunter and those 27 episodes. So go check those out. I feel personally attacked <laughs> by that. But I do feel like I've covered all those bases, so there is some truth to it. Let's get to the listener question. All right, everyone. Go refill your beverages. We'll be right back for a listener question from our very own Zach Archer. Change words to come 
Okay, Ryan, here we are with one listener question. And just a reminder to everyone out there listening, if you want to write Ryan and I an email, whether you have a question, you have an audio question, you can literally send us anything you want as long as it makes the show better. Maybe you have a suggested topic of discussion. You want Ryan and I to talk about something, you send us a note and we'll literally have an entire episode built or baked around that particular topic. We did that many moons ago. Someone was like, hey, can you talk about your college experience? And we literally recorded a two and a half hour show talking about our college experience. Or if you just have a particular Destiny Island challenge or memory of melody theme that you want Ryan and I to do in the future, please, it's been a while since we've gotten uh, a significant number of listener emails. Send us one. Mm-hmm. Podcast at gmail.com. Also in the show notes below. But as I mentioned it prior to coming to the break, our good friend, Zach Archer from the Tarkaron show, or dare I say Tarkaron podcast, because they recently started an actual official monthly Tarkaron podcast. Uh, many, many moons ago, I had said, we'd, I'd always referred to them as the Tarkaron podcast, even yeah, though they we, were- we've said the wrong name for so many times. Yeah. I'm glad it's finally becoming a thing. And then we kind of basically inspired the uh, the podcast version of their already existing YouTube show. So- Go we check get them out. For <laughs> I hope so. We should. Yeah. For the number of times we've for shouted the them out. copyright we put out there a couple years ago. But anyways, uh, so Zach sends us a, a, an email here and he says, hello, boys. I firstly would like to say that I greatly appreciate the support you've given me as well as Tarkaron over the years. Rusty, you often leave comments on our videos or complimentary towards our channel and shouting us out on the podcast more often than not. And that is truly appreciated. I feel like I've been slacking in terms of leaving feedback on a talk about others and just more openly showing my support, but rest assured I have been listening and enjoying every episode. I particularly like your challenge idea coming into the new year, Rusty, where you have set goals for particular types of games to beat and whatnot. I think that's a really fun idea. I wouldn't be opposed to doing something like that in the future myself. So my question, I always love looking back and reflecting on videos we've done in the past. And so I wanted to ask you, for both of you individually, what was your favorite video that we've done together? For reference, I've included a list of all the videos that you've been a part of on Tarkaron. Thanks, fellas. And he has uh, a long laundry list of video names uh, for things that you've been on mm-hmm. collectively and individually because we've done the Tarkaron cross who talk about those gift exchange a number of times. Um, and then I've, of course, been on for a number of things over the past Survivor, several years. Shrek. Yeah, Yeah. all kinds of stuff. And this kind of (laughs) just, this kind of reminded me, Ryan, uh, of an old commercial that we used to see quite often years ago. And it was the Old Spice commercial where the guy says, all right, (laughs) look at your man. Now look back to me. Now look to Ryan. Now look back to me, the superior podcast, Tarkaron. You you wish he was like me. (laughs) And then just... All of a sudden, your handful of diamonds turns into the Tarkaron podcast logo. <laughs> yeah, I just love that Zach's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't shout you guys out enough, and I don't compliment your show, but let's talk about Tarkaron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was smooth. I, I like it. Uh, I see what you did there, Zach, and I, you I know actually, what? I, I actually did it. an Old Spice commercial as like a project in high school. Like we were supposed to do, um, I think it was AP American History. And we were supposed to come up with some like historical thing. And Old Spice was huge back in high school. Like mm-hmm. that had just come out and it was just all that hilarious. body spray. And 
we filmed something. I was a pirate. I had a sword. I was in a shower. And I basically did that monologue, but mm-hmm. pirate themed as, look at your man. Now back to me. Now look at your man. Has he conquered islands? Like, I was just like, yeah. It, well, it was if, weird back in high school. If we're looking for material for a theoretical live on Twitch episode five years in the making of the Otaku Brothers podcast, I think that would be excellent material if you can pull that. I'll have to find the floppy drives <laughs> that those things are recording. In. Because I have also a number of like high school projects that would be hilarious if we could show those. I'm on. sure my parent. I had one. It was a speech class where it was like how to break up with your girlfriend. Oh, wow. And it, I, I had some efficient like ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Like you ride by on your bike. And that's when newspapers were still a thing back in the day. And I just look at the newspaper. It's like, this in, you're out. And then I chuck oh. a newspaper at her and she's just sitting on the driveway. Holy shit. And, uh, it was with my girlfriend at the time. And she's like, is this a sign? <laughs> like you did a 12 minute speech on how to break up with your girlfriend. And I'm in it. So uh, cool. Damn, that's rough. This in, you're out, people. <laughs> I <laughs> thought it was cool. I thought it was Probably not the best way about doing about it if you want motions involved, but yeah, yeah, damn. I got an A. It's all that matters. And that is all that matters, man. We're not um, together, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah, I don't know why that worked, didn't what, work out. What a surprise. But yeah, getting back to that idea of ideas for a theoretical five years in the making show, I wouldn't want to just like do what we normally do, games played, life updates, main topic. It would be really fun to have some type of theme around a five-year anniversary of Talking Brothers episode if we were to do it live. So definitely get at us in the Discord. If you have ideas, send in an audio question, send in an email. Let us know what you think would be fun. What would you take time out of your Saturday, Sunday, or weeknight evening to come and watch Ryan and I record mm-hmm. an episode of the Otaku Brothers for two and a half hours or whatever it might be, Yeah. right? Let us know. I'd love to hear because Ryan and I can make our own ideas, but like you should know by now that most of Otaku Brothers is just two dudes in a room talking about games. Yeah, right? pretty much. Um, oftentimes there isn't as much structure around it as maybe some other shows out there. So let us know what you'd want to hear and we'll really start thinking about and planning behind the scenes what that could look like. But back to Tarkaron. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we brought it back to us. Now we're going to throw it back to Tarkaron. <laughs> That's right. So Zach has, I'm not going to read all of these here, but he has a lot of things listed for all of the videos that we've been a part of with our friends over at Tarkaron over the years. Uh, why don't you go ahead and get started? What would, what's your favorite time being on Tarkaron? I think my favorite was the last one I recorded with them, which was Box Art Battles number six. And what is Box Art Battles for the listeners that are not familiar with Tarkaron? Uh, so it's basically taking box art, as the title would imply, and pitting two up against each other. And we don't see them beforehand. I believe it's Zach's brother. Kind of puts them it. together. Yeah. Yeah. And then we basically rate which one we want to kind of bring on to the next round. It's really fun. It's a really unique idea. And especially because they do things on YouTube. So you see their faces, you see pictures of the box art, and they go into really intricate detail of you know, is Dragon Age Origins a better box art than Epic Mickey on the Wii? And it always leads to lots of laughs, fun discussions. So definitely go check that out. They've done a number of those episodes over the years. And I would say the first one, my gut reaction, if you'd asked me, what's the favorite moment on, on Tarkron over the years? I would also say uh, about six plus months ago, I was on 
they also review movies, TV shows, things like that. And they had reviewed all of the Shrek movies mm-hmm. and the Shrek shorts and Shrek musical, all kinds of nonsense. But uh, they brought me on for a Shrek box art battles. And you'd be surprised how many Shrek video games have been made over the years. And naturally, in very Ari Lewis 2011 fashion, I do that episode three weeks later, like four Shrek games show up from eBay. (laughs) Um, So that was a really good time. Lots of laughs. I always appreciate being uh, asked to come on Tarkron. Over the years, we've been doing uh, reviews of the live action adaptations of the Disney movies. So we did The Lion King. We did Pinocchio recently, Cruella. And I mean, Zach and Alec are really responsible for reigniting my love of Survivor because I I wasn't following. I don't know what it was, but I hadn't I didn't know that they were going through and, and you know, Zach's a big fan of Survivor. Alec is not taking Alec through chronologically all of the seasons of Survivor and starting with like the fifth season of Survivor, they were actually reacting to the episode. So you were getting Alec and Zach's authentic reaction to the events of of the show, the reality television show. And it wasn't until 2020 when I really caught on to them doing that and reignited my love because I stopped watching Survivor around season 12 or 13 growing up. And so I ended up taking Lauren through almost every season over the course of the pandemic. And now I've auditioned to be on the show. I'm building, I'm, I'm making a second audition tape. So um, not that if I ever went up winning Survivor, there's any kind of ties to the winnings that I think Zach and Alec uh, <laughs> are deserving of. But I'm just saying, uh, you know, I'm certainly tip my cap to both of you for reigniting my love of that show, but also getting my wife into it as well. Uh, but I'm probably going to kind of cheat here to point to a very particular thing that I've done with both Zach and Alec. It was not associated with Tarkaron, but it was many years ago that I think really kind of solidified our friendship. And I think years later, is something that I look back on and say, I don't know if we'd be where we at or at today, friend wise, if it wasn't for us doing a three hour, two and a half hour discussion on Tales of Vesperia on the Xbox 360. I think it's at least 11 years ago at this point. There's still a video out there. Look for the Hey Listen podcast on YouTube. There is a two and a half hour discussion between me, Zach, and Alec talking about after we had played and rolled all three rolled credits on Tales of Asperia, the hit JRPG in the Tales of series. And we just talked about the game for two and a half hours. And it all sounds like we're calling in on shoestring and, <laughs> um, you know, a can. But I think us talking about that game, being a part of Pete's game room forum back then in the heyday of the old school YouTube gaming community, I think that really helped to lay the foundation for a friendship that would still be going strong. 10, 11 years later. So um, yes, Shrek box art battles were fun. Love all the stuff you guys are doing out there on Tarkaron nowadays, but also I have to look back at the humble beginnings of when we did the Tales of Asperi review. And I think we'll have to do that once again with the definitive version of Tales of Asperia on current generation consoles at some point in the future. I know we meant to do that last year, but we need to get around to it. So, um, so yeah, I think that's what I would say. Very cool. So if you're not following Tarkaron, please do. We mention them pretty much every time we record the podcast, as we do many of our other friends who are creating great things out there on the internet. And uh, yeah, please go check out Tarkaron out on YouTube. But with that being said, Ryan, I know we were going to get to hypotheticals. I got to go see Creed 3 with my dad today. And I'm sure you've got to get back to Monster Hunter. And I think you're going to restart your shiny collecting journey today too. I am. 
everything that everyone enjoys listening to on the podcast <laughs> are the games I plan on playing today. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, only Dark Souls, Monster Hunter, Pokemon, RuneScape. Animal and, Crossing, uh, Minecraft. Make sure you get those in there too. Games that I've never become addicted to. So, never. yeah. Absolutely. Easily put down. Just, yep. yep. Exactly. But uh, we'll be back in a month to hear about Ryan's relapse of RuneScape and Animal Crossing and Minecraft and Monster Hunter and Pokemon Shiny Collecting. We'll get back to that in a month. And I've played a few of those that I wasn't allowed to talk to you today because Rusty rudely cut me off. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> we did have to get to Zach's question. But yeah, that's true. Joking aside, Ryan and I will be back in one month with the Destiny Island Challenge. We'll be returning to that segment talking everything you could ever want to know about the original Xbox, including the five games that we would take to a desert island. But we need listener participation. So be sure to send us an email, Podcast at gmail.com with the five Xbox games that you, original, that you would take to a desert island with you and play for the rest of your life, the rest of your days. And Ryan and I will be sure to read that live on the show. So be mm-hmm. sure to provide like maybe a brief little reason as to why you selected each of those five games. So stay tuned for that. Keep playing those great video games. But before we get to the tail end of any show, we always have to turn things back to Ryan and ask him, Ryan, you have any fun facts or parting words? For the listeners today? I do. So since we came up with, or we were playing Hogwarts Legacy, figured I'd uh, throw out a little statistic. Um, So they sold 12 million units in the first two weeks. Wow. Which makes it the, I guess, highest selling or fastest selling Warner Bros. title of all time. Are you sure those numbers are better than Shadow of Mordor? I don't know. We might need Mm -hmm. to double check that. Yeah, Shadow of Mordor, the Batman games, the Lego games. It's it's a powerhouse. Wow. Well, I think it's, sold like maybe a million less copies or something. I, I read a stat the other day that it sold like maybe a million less copies than Elden Ring's lifetime sales. Holy crap. In like the month it's been out. Wow. So you better believe it's probably going to be the best selling game of the year. I mean, mm. I have to imagine, especially because last generation console versions haven't even come out yet. Switch, PS4, Xbox One, those versions come out in May. I think Switch versions coming out in like June or July. Uh, be sure to get the Switch version. I hear it's going to run better than even the current generation console yeah, versions. Exactly. I mean, it'd only run better if it had online capabilities. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, I mean, PvP in this game, online PvP would be a ton of fun. It would Can you be. imagine just facing off versus like a 3v3? It'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all that aside, lovely fun fact, Ryan. Again, this is an educational program. You have to stay to the tail end of every Otaku Brothers episode so Ryan can give you the fun facts and we fade out the show with great tunes. That's just what we do around here. All right. We hope this episode found you well once again. I know Ryan and I talked about the games we've been playing recently for like literally an hour and 40 minutes, but it's been a month. Yeah. And there's been a while. lot of great games being released over the past month or so. And I hope all of you continue to play them over the course of the next month. Ryan and I are going to be doing the same I'm going to be doing taxes. That's boring. So <laughs> play games for me and maybe think about your pal Ari Lewis 2011 while you're doing it. We will be back again in a month to do the Destiny Island Challenge for the Xbox. Stay healthy out there. Again, we'll see you in a month. See ya.
Watch me cry. 